0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Air Church. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus who love him and love their neighbor. We pray these sermons serve to deepen your love for and obedience to Jesus. And whilst we trust these podcast sermons bless you, we would not want them to replace you gathering with us personally, as you're able to, or committing to a local gospel church near you. So if you want to explore Jesus more, gather with us, or find a church near you, please get in touch through our website, harvestair.church. You are loved. Also open your Bible um, up to Matthew chapter 5. If you're uh, using one of the little uh, pew Bibles, uh, little black Bibles, it's on page 759. Uh, We're starting a new series, but really continuing on in the Gospel of Matthew, which we started last year. Um, and we thought about uh, the, the arrival of king jesus and what it looks like to follow him and now you're really drilling down into the sermon the Mount, what does it look like to live for him so matthew chapter 5 uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 16 together um, so please have that in front of you um, as i read that um, and as we go through uh, so that you can see where it's coming from that it's not just uh, my words but the very words um, of our living god so matthew chapter 5 And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let me just pray for us and ask for the Spirit's help as we come to hear these things and and apply them to our lives. Father, we're so thankful that you speak to us. We're so thankful that... You have revealed yourself to us and supremely in Jesus who saves us. We pray that your spirit would illuminate your words, your hearts right now, that you would soften us and that you would cause our affections to be recaptured afresh in this moment for Jesus, for knowing him, for loving him and for obeying his commandments. We ask your help not just in this moment, but as we seek to live these things out in the days and weeks ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I wonder how you can tell or how you determine what someone's citizenship is. Uh, We recently just applied uh, for passports for uh, Nora and Joseph, which is something you have to do these days for kids of all ages. Um, And on a a British passport, um, which you'll see on the screen there, um, there's a picture of a passport there. Uh, On the front, uh, it's the, 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 the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. United Kingdom, and, in a, and as you know, if you turn into the, the, the front of your passport, you'll see a little request there from the Secretary of State on behalf of the Queen. So we have a, a, a kingdom, we have a, a king or queen, and then inside the passport, it declares your citizenship, which in a British passport, of course, you might not have a British passport, maybe you're a citizen of a different country, but it says British citizen. So that's how you might determine someone's citizenship their citizenship of a kingdom, and who their king or queen is. Well, in Matthew, we have seen the arrival, as we thought about last year, of the long-awaited king who is ushering in another kingdom, God's eternal kingdom. And he is calling a people to himself. He is calling people to become citizens of his kingdom and submit to him as king. If you look up uh, just in your Bible at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we see Jesus make this kind of seismic, Um, eternity-altering, kingdom-shaking call. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And citizens of that kingdom, citizens of that kingdom, Christians, if you call yourself one, we don't have passports, right, do we? We don't get a blue passport as it is now and as it used to be. We don't get a passport anymore when we become citizens. So how do we know who citizens of Jesus' kingdom are? How would we determine and how would we assure ourselves that we are citizens in that kingdom? Well, Matthew 5 to 7, the whole Sermon on the Mount, and then these verses we're looking at this morning, significantly answer that question with this, by how we live. By how we live. That's why this series is called Kingdom Living. How real disciples live under Jesus' rule. How real disciples live under Jesus' rule. So what kind of kingdom, as we dive into this series and back into Matthew, what kind of kingdom is Jesus establishing? It's no ordinary kingdom. It's not a kingdom with borders or boundaries. It's not a kingdom we can enter by physical birth, by a birth certificate or family line. It's not a kingdom that will experience war or famine or death in the end. It is a perfect kingdom that will one day be fully established on earth when Jesus returns. And the good news of that kingdom is that it has begun to break into this world. The door has been creaked open. The light has beginning to come through. Jesus has come. He has ascended, but he will one day return. That kingdom is here. And it's the kingdom that we all long for. And Jesus is the kind of king we all need. The kind of king we need to rule over us. And the good news is that this perfect, righteous king has come to make it possible for imperfect, unrighteous people like you and me to enter that perfect kingdom. How? Matthew one twenty one we saw that Jesus' arrival, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's how we can enter this kingdom. Jesus has come to save sinners. He's announced the arrival of his kingdom. He has called his first followers. And these followers are now being gathered into his people, the church, which today, in this time and age, serves as a visible manifestation, kind of like an embassy, if you want to think of it that way. The church serves as the embassy of God's kingdom on earth in this age. Now in Matthew 5 7, he invites us to see how those citizens should live. And then as we dive into verses 1 to 16, what kind of character are they to have? And what difference does that character make or should make in this world now? So for you and me. Maybe we say we are disciples. Then you're, uh, you're counted among those in chapter 5, verse 1. His disciples came to him. So Jesus goes up on the mountain. The, the disciples come to him. But it's not just his disciples that are listening in on this and who this applies to. If you go to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 28, you will see that there are great crowds listening in as well. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. So the disciples are there but the crowds who have begun to follow are there also so if you call yourself a disciple are you living like a kingdom citizen these verses are calling you to examine your life with regards to that and it's also here to reassure you as a disciple that to live for jesus leads to blessing that to live this way is critical that it's worth it and because of Jesus, it is possible. It's to here to remind you as a disciple that this is what we're called to. This is what we've been saved for. The kind of character we're to have, the kind of character, the kind of disciple that really makes a difference in the world. And maybe you count yourself as someone who's amongst a crowd. You don't maybe call yourself a follower of Jesus. You're listening in from the fringes. You want to explore more. Here, Jesus speaks in these verses, in God's word, with authority, which means he needs to be listened to, that these words, that this sermon needs to be taken seriously, and that he can be believed, and that these blessings are not make-believe; these promises are true. It's an invitation for you to see the kind of person you must become should you become a disciple. The kind of person you can become, the kind of character you can have, the kind of life that truly makes a difference in this world. So that's what we're going to see together this morning. I'll be up on the screen for you. This passage, God's word is calling us this morning to become a disciple of real character in order to be eternally blessed and make an everyday difference. To become a disciple of real character in order to be eternally blessed make an everyday difference the first thing we see this morning together then is this when i live under king jesus's rule i will be eternally blessed as i become like him so if you look down in verse uh, chapter 4 verse 23 to 25 we see that jesus has begun His ministry he's been teaching and proclaiming the, the gospel of the kingdom and healing people throughout a region called galilee and as a result you can imagine healing, preaching, he's gathered a huge crowd. He then takes them up to a mountain, verses 1 to 2 of chapter 5, and he goes up on a mountain, hence why it's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm sure you know. He goes up on the mountain to teach them. And in verses 3 to 12, he lays out these nine, more commonly known as Beatitudes, but they're really nine statements or descriptions of the character of kingdom citizens. They're not just description statements. Jesus here is laying out an invitation. An invitation, a call to all of us, particularly those who say they're disciples, to become like these nine characteristics in order to experience blessing both now in this life and in the life and kingdom to come. Why should we pursue these nine characteristics? Because we see nine times Blessed. Blessed are those who embody these things, and we see those nine promises attached to them. And blessed here is, we could maybe think about that as happy, um, but it's more than just a kind of emotion of happiness. I feel happy today. It's much deeper than that. It's much more substantial than that. Um, As one commentator puts it, the word blessed there really speaks to human flourishing in all of its fullness in relationship to God. It's not just a kind of surface level happiness it's human flourishing in, its, in, in relationship to God it's becoming what we were always meant to be as humans it speaks to that great biblical theme of being remade in the image of Christ the image that was lost in the garden but that by the grace of God and those who have put their faith in Christ is being remade being remade being made new It's a call here to live as Jesus calls us to live, which is the best way to live, the blessed way. So if you want to flourish as a person, to thrive, to be made whole, to live truly happy, Jesus shows us what that looks like in these verses. A couple of things to note just as we dive into them. The character and righteousness we are being called to here. Is heart deep If you look at those things these are all talking about internal things yes that manifest in how we treat others but they're primarily internal things the kind of character the kind of righteousness that Jesus is calling us here to and which he which causes him to clash with the Pharisees and the religious leaders right it's not external obedience first and foremost it's internal change it's heart deep change and obedience Matthew 5 verse 8 really points to that, isn't it? Blessed are the pure in heart. So to be a real disciple is to be someone who is transformed from the inside out from the heart to the hands. Putting on a good show, being a good person isn't good enough. We need new hearts, we need to be made new people. And by the grace of God, that's possible through the work of the Spirit. Second thing to note, is that the blessing and the joy that comes from living this way is both now and not yet. These blessings, these promises, we we can taste them in a certain measure now, but the nature of God's kingdom, that it's now, but not fully yet, means that there are aspects of these promises which lie ahead. You see that in verses three and 10. Verse three, there is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, there is the kingdom of heaven. But then if you look at verses four to nine, the blessings in the middle, they shall be, they shall, they shall, they shall. So being a real disciple means that we do get a foretaste of all these things now and that we are promised these things in all their fullness in the future. Verses 3 to 5, as we dive in, lay out the most foundational heart postures of citizens of Jesus' kingdom and you may be so familiar with this that these things just kind of glaze over you because you've read this passage a hundred times. Maybe you've never heard this passage before. But these are deeply, make no mistake about this, these are deeply radical characteristics and traits of human beings. And they are deeply needed in our lives, in this church, and in this world. Verses 3 to 5 lay out the most foundational heart posture of citizens of Jesus' kingdom. Blessed are the pure and spirit, Blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are those who are meek. A in spirit really here speaks to being spiritually purring. It's realizing that when you look at your spiritual bank account, that you are totally bankrupt. That we have nothing to offer or bring before God. To mourn, mourning describes the response when you look at that bank statement and see that there's nothing there mourning over sin over our spiritual bankruptcy it's it's a, a, a mourning a grieving over the sin and the devastation that our own sin and that the sin in this world causes when's the last time you mourned or wept for your sin or for the sin that we see in this world and mourning is an essential aspect of repentance that jesus has called us to Repentance isn't just kind of some surface regret. Pictured here is a godly grief for our sin. It means not minimizing it, sugarcoating it, wiping it under the carpet, hiding it. It means owning it, grieving over it, and importantly, turning away from it and turning back to God. And then, meek, when you see that bank account when you realize and mourn over how empty it is what should that create it should create a meekness a word maybe we don't use so often today a really helpful word. Word, where that meekness that humbleness it should cause us to get low it should cause us to go to our knees because we recognize our spiritual bankruptcy because we mourn over it Cause us to be humble for the Lord and see what awaits those who are characterized by these three things for the pure and spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For those who mourn, they will be comforted. For those who are meek, they will inherit the earth. When we recognize we have nothing before God to give him we end up gaining everything we are eternally guaranteed entrance into God's kingdom we are comforted knowing that we no longer need to carry the burden and the shame and consequences of our sin and we have an eternal inheritance those who confess their spiritual bankruptcy before the Lord before God end up actually with an incredible eternal of incredible proportion of inheritance both in this age being united to Christ and experiencing the blessings of being in his church and in the age to come the new heavens and the new earth that's what it means that we will inherit the earth for God's people back then in Israel it was a specific piece of land but for us today for his people today it's a new heavens and the new earth in the world to come that's your inheritance that's my inheritance our inheritance When we get low before the Lord. Real disciples of Jesus don't walk around with a swagger. Or a sense of superiority. Real disciples of Jesus are to be the humblest, meekest, most unassuming people this world should know. They should be those who take sin seriously and who come empty handed to God. Recognizing their total need of him and of his grace. Then, coupled with this open-handed humility is a hunger. Verse 6, if you look down, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's like saying to God, I know I'm not this, but I long to be like this. A hunger and a thirst for righteousness. In verse 6, we see that real disciples hunger for righteousness. That is, that they desire to... Firstly, be righteous with God or before God, to be saved by him, and then to live a righteous life that's pleasing to him. And part of that involves a longing to see righteousness prevail in this world. So it's kind of three-dimensional. It's a righteousness before God, a righteousness in that we want to live a pleasing life to the Lord, to live by his ways, and a hunger and thirst to see righteousness in the world around us. hunger and thirst, the language there speaks to, doesn't it? I'll just kind of a blasé, take or leave it kind of obedience. It's a deep longing for personal obedience to the Lord. For righteousness and justice to prevail around us. It's not an afterthought. It's not just another item on our to-do list for the week ahead. It's a total everyday, all-consuming desire to please the Lord and to live for Him. And what does that lead to? verse 6 satisfaction living god's way is good it's satisfying pursuing righteousness by the grace of god and the strength of the spirit is the best blessed way to live you would describe your life right now as being unsatisfied or maybe unsettled you feel you're missing something lacking something here is how you can be satisfied not ultimately in the pursuit of money relationships sex respect authority uh, praise but in coming empty-handed to jesus and obeying his commandments satisfaction is only found in quenching that hunger and thirst with a right relationship with God. We can look for it elsewhere. We can try all day long. But nothing else will ever hit the spot. Nothing else can save us apart from coming to Jesus and living for him. That's the most joyful, full, and happy way to live. If you don't believe me, then maybe speak to another Christian here. Look at, look at their lives. Being a follower of Jesus isn't easy. doesn't mean we're, um, uh, we get to avoid hard things in life. And yes, Christians don't live perfectly. But look at all our Christian's lives, look at all our mature Christian's lives and see the joy that comes from following Jesus. And look to Jesus. See how he lived his life. Someone who perfectly obeyed God and who was the most satisfied and joyful human who ever lived. Coupled with a hunger for living according to God's way and will is a pure heart in verse 8. So pure in terms of a kind of cleanness, a a moral cleanness, but also in terms of a purity of devotion, not divided in in desire, not divided or politic with simple and distorted desires. It's a kind of heart and life that will, in the end, see God. heart that's singularly and totally devoted to him, and that will therefore one day see him. Which is the Christian's great longing, isn't it? To see him as he is. To behold him face to face. To fully and forever behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we stand before him face to face. And we are made like him in all of his fullness. Eternal blessing, eternal joy forever. That's what it means to see God. And then verses 7-9 to nine lay out the way the disciples way disciples of Jesus who, who get how gracious and merciful God has been to them, how they then treat others. So we come humble, we are pure in spirit, meek, mourning, hands out, empty, pure in heart. What difference does that make then to those around us? We show mercy and we make peace. Real disciples of Jesus are not marked by harshness, strife anger, division, or revenge. These are some of the things we thought about as a church towards the end of last year. So we must ask ourselves, are we those who are marked by mercy and peace? Or are we more likely to be the one who stirs up division and create peace? Would those closest to us in our daily lives say they experience us as a merciful person, or as a harsh person as a peacemaker or as a divider with your children in your marriage in your workplace in the church with your neighbors are we known for being merciful merciful peacemakers what is promised both now and in the future for merciful peacemakers the eternal mercy the joy and the security of adoption. It's hard to take in all these blessings and promises, right? So many things here. But when we live like this by the grace of God, your promise, mercy and adoption. And then finally in verses 10 and 12 we see another key characteristic of real disciples. They are persecuted. Real disciples Count the cost. This one's a bit of purple, right? And amongst all this, we, we kind of look at everything else and we think, yeah, it's, I can buy into those things pretty easily. I can see how if I was more like that or if we were more like that, how good that would be. But how's being persecuted going to make me happy? How's being persecuted and counting the cost going to make me flourish? How's that a blessing? Well, in case you haven't realised, being a genuine, real, distinct disciple for Jesus means we will stand out in this world. It will mean we will not be the popular people, right? Yes, there will be an attractiveness to the way we live, as we'll see in a moment, but there will also be much opposition. Persecution and being reviled is part of following Jesus in a world where this, his kingdom is not yet the kingdom. So, we shouldn't be surprised, right? In a world that's still hostile to Him. And to be persecuted and reviled is to follow in the footsteps of those who've gone before Him, before us, the prophets, as it speaks about in verse 12, and ultimately in the footsteps of Jesus Himself. And what makes it worth it? Well, we will enter into His kingdom, verse 10 and verse 12. Or verse 12, we will receive a great reward. What we, listen to this this morning, if you're in the midst of difficulty because of your faith, what we gain eternally far outweighs what we must temporarily endure in this life. What we gain eternally far outweighs what we temporarily have to endure in this life. And even in this life, there's a sweetness in amongst that persecution that draws us closer to Jesus and to one another. And it's those things which give us reason to rejoice and be glad in verse 12. It won't be easy. I'm not gonna stand here and pretend that the call to be a real disciple. We can be disciples. We can be average, fake, run-of-the-mill Sunday disciples if you want to be, and life will be easy. If you want to be a real disciple, you long and hunger and thirst for true righteousness, it won't be easy, but it will be worth it. And it's one of the key ways that people in this world, Christians, seeing Christians come to cost, it's one of the key ways that people will come to believe in and see the beauty of the gospel, which we'll see in just a moment. So here we have the distinctive characteristics of the real disciples of Jesus, along with the now and not yet blessings for those who pursue them. But the reality is for you and me, right, is that even as disciples, we often feel in these things. I'm sure you easily feel that as you read that list, pure in heart. The good news is that we don't get into God's kingdom by perfectly obeying and living out these things. We get in through repentance and confession of sin and coming empty handed to Jesus and receiving all that he would give us. He is the one who makes all of this possible. Isaiah sixty-one, uh, which is a, a prophecy that ultimately is fulfilled by Jesus, Luke for shows us that. But which really lies behind the Sermon on the Mount here, it says this: the spirit of the Lord God is upon him. That is on Jesus, because the Lord has Lord has anointed him to bring good news to the poor. And primarily, there is thinking about the spirit of prayer. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to so proclaim liberty to captives, those in bondage to sin. And the opening a present to those who are bowing to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. To grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. So we can and we must come to him by faith in order to experience these blessings. And we know that Jesus perfectly did these things out us. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, says this on the Beatitudes. He says, having reached the end of the Beatitudes, and you can probably resonate with me um, as he says this, having reached the end of the Beatitudes, we naturally ask if there is any place on this earth for the community which they describe. Clearly there's one place, and only one, and that is where the poorest, meekest and most sorely tried of all men is to be found. On the cross of Golgotha. Jesus is the supreme embodiment and example of what it means to be pure in spirit, mournful, meek, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, a peacemaker. He was persecuted and reviled on the cross where he died to take our sin so that we could enter his kingdom. By grace, he obeyed these things perfectly for us. And his obedience is what enables us to enter in. But it doesn't stop there. We are called to obey on the basis of grace, yes. But we are called to obey, to do. We'll see that as we come to the end of the sermon. There is a strong call here to obedience. To pursue these kind of characteristics. And we do so from a place of grace and by the strength of the spirit. And just as we become disciples by grace, so there is grace and forgiveness for when we mess up in these things, because we will, right?
1: There's grace and forgiveness for when we mess up
0: in these things, yet we must wholeheartedly pursue them. And authentic disciples of Jesus will be evident by how they live these things out. So if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, if you count yourself amongst those who are disciples, here's the encouragement of this passage. Keep going. Keep obeying. Be assured that this really is the best way to live, that obedience to Jesus is good, both now and for eternity, and that to become more like Jesus is to become who we were made to be. And be assured, particularly in the midst of hostility, the hostility that verses ten to twelve talk about. In the midst of hostility, or when we see the lack of justice around us in this world, or maybe we are in a situation where we're striving for peace, trying to be a peacemaker, but to no avail. Be assured that it's worth it. Any real disciples no walk in the park, but it is worth it. And let these future blessings and promises which we taste now, let them fuel our present hope of Jesus in this world. Take heart that God's spirit is at work in you, changing you, and press on in your pursuit of becoming more like these things. And know that just as we don't listen to this sermon on our own, right, it was a crowd, it was disciples, plural, that listened to this sermon, just so as as we don't listen to this on our own, so we don't have to live these things out on our own. We We get to do it together as disciples, as a church, where we can find the encouragement, the much needed daily encouragement and exhortation and help to keep living these things out. What about those who maybe count themselves amongst the crowd? on the fringes, to those exploring Jesus or who would consider themselves amongst a crowd, living under Jesus' rule is good. It's, in the words of Matthew, satisfying, it's comforting, it's eternity altering. So choose today to repent, to embrace Jesus by faith, to come to him with those open hands and rest in and receive his grace and mercy. To rest in and receive his righteousness and enter into that eternal kingdom now you can do that now today you have to wait to enter into that kingdom which will one day come in all of its fullness enter into that kingdom through faith and as jesus calls us to be disciples of real characters with the expectation and the intention that this will serve to make a real difference in our world now that's what we see next when i live under king jesus's rule I will be eternally blessed as I become like him. And secondly, I will make an everyday difference that causes people to glorify him. Let me ask you, and and, uh, in some ways this seems like a silly question, but maybe just to reflect in your own heart right now, do you long to live with a purpose? Do you long to have a significant impact on those around you, on the world around you? My guess is that you do. I think we all do. We want our lives to count. We want them to count for something. Yet often we think that we are not capable, we're not gifted, that we can't have any kind of impact on those around us. We're too insignificant. That we're never gonna be able to impact our friends, or family, our neighbors, our town. Maybe as Christians, as a church, a small church, You maybe wonder how we can even begin to make a dent spiritually in the lives of those around us, given all the the, the sinfulness, the brokenness, the problems that exist both internally and outside. We ask ourselves, what do we need to do to make a difference? Can we make a difference? Well, verses 13 to 16 follow on from verses 1 to 12 for good reason. Jesus is telling us that we can And we will make a difference when we live out the distinctively Christ-like life that verses 1-12 to have just laid out for us. Character is one of the key ways that we will make a difference. Yes, we need to put words to our actions. Yes, we need to proclaim the gospel. But the emphasis here is on how obedience to Jesus' commands provides a compelling witness to a watching world. And because all disciples, all of us, are called to become like him, we can all make a difference. We can make a difference from the youngest to the oldest, from the classroom to the workplace, from the supermarket to our streets. We can make a difference. What kind of difference can we make, should we make? Well, Jesus tells us in two key pictures he gives us, salt and light. We are to be salt and light in our world. In a world that's decaying, literally, societally, and in a world that's decaying and fracturing and breaking, we can make a difference by preserving and flavoring. That's what salt does, right? Preserves it, flavors. When you go to the chip shop and you get fish and chips and they ask, do you want salt and vinegar? The answer is yes, right? In a world that's decaying and fracturing and breaking, we can make a difference by preserving and flavoring. And in a world that is dark and often depressing, right? We can provide light and a way forward. So salt is used to both preserve and the flavor. And in terms of preservative, the picture that Jesus is painting for us here is that when we obey Jesus' commands, we preserve life. Families are preserved. When we live by Jesus's ways marriages are preserved society is preserved justice is done many of the things we take for granted in our context which have served to make our society flourish are founded on the ethics of Jesus and the ethics of Christianity and we are seeing society increasingly collapse the further it moves away from those things as disciples, we can have a preservative impact on our world when we live distinctive lives for Jesus. And it flavors, soft flavors, it brings, we should bring in a dark, depressing world of turmoil and pain, we can bring genuine, eternal, lasting joy, hope, love, purpose. We can bring true community, in the midst of so much broken community in our world. That's what we can do both as individuals, as we scatter and we're in our jobs and in our homes and in our streets, but also as we gather as a church and live our lives together as a church. These are the kind of things we can do in our world. And light provides illumination, doesn't it? It enables people to see and move forward. Ultimately, by living for Jesus, we can and should point people to him, the light of the world. The one who has overcome death and darkness. We do this by how we live and how we speak about Jesus and the gospel of his kingdom. There's two warnings here, two key warnings here that we need to heed if we are to not lose our saltiness and stop being a light in the world. the two warnings here for us if that we lose our saltiness, that is, if if we stop being her in spirit, meek, humble, hung, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, merciful, all those things, our witness will become weak and ultimately worthless. That's what the warning of the, the verse is. In the verse 13, it's no longer good for anything except to be trampled on. Likewise, verses 14 to 15 warn us that there is no point living for Jesus behind closed doors. Real disciples don't hide their faith in the way that you don't hide a lump. We must be visible. We must strive to place ourselves in close proximity to those who don't know him. And you already are. Whether it's neighbours or family, colleagues, classmates, So take hold, look look at those opportunities, see who's around you, take hold of those opportunities and pray for opportunities to to live and to speak into those people's lives. Imagine if we all were wholeheartedly seeking to take every daily opportunity with all the people we come into contact with, the tens of people, maybe hundreds of people that we can be something life-like in together. But the reality is that we can be in close proximity and yet not make a difference. We hide. It's easy to do that, right, isn't it? Come home at night, switch on the TV, stay in the house. Not speak to our colleagues about things that really matter or not broach the subject with a family member. Yes, there's wisdom in all of that, right? And winsomeness and we don't want to be obnoxious in those things. But we can be close yet not make a difference because fear of standing out or being persecuted means we keep our faith hidden i'm examining myself here too amongst this these verses have been working hard on my heart as well and i appreciate the tension that comes doesn't it when when how we live and speak about jesus can often impact our livelihoods yet this world needs disciples of real character this world needs you and me to be real disciples, of real character, who both make a difference now, and also point to Jesus, who is the only one who can make a difference eternally. That's why the mission of all churches, that's why the mission of our church, is to make disciples. That's why we are focused on that primarily, because it is critical to make a difference in our world. Our first and primary means of making a difference in our town and in our nation is to make real disciples. Not easy, fake ones. Real disciples, deep disciples. Disciples who endure. Making real, deep, enduring disciples of Jesus is how this small church, how we, weak Christians, can really make a lasting difference we can't control the economy. We can't control governments. We can't control wars. Yes, we can have a Christian voice and witness into those things, but ultimately those things are out of our hands, right? On a day-to-day basis, in our everyday, ordinary lives, we can't. Uh, we we can alleviate poverty, but by ourselves, we will never end it. Jesus told us that we will always have the power with us. Doesn't mean we don't help them. Yet we can, under the authority of Jesus, increasingly fill the world with salt and light disciples who by their character and conduct make a difference in this world and point people to Jesus. We can do that. That's what verse 16 tells us. By how we live, our good works, people will get a glimpse of Jesus and be led to put their trust in him. So there's a difference. There's a difference we can make There's the opportunity. There's where becoming more like Jesus personally and together as a church, that's where it can get us. People giving glory to God the Father. Little by little, one by one, child by child, generation by generation, neighbor by neighbor, street by street, by the grace that God supplies, we can, in time, make a difference and play our part with individually and as a church. Let's not become impatient or disheartened. The daily, patient, faithful making of deep disciples, disciples of real character, really does make difference. For those who count themselves in the crowd, who don't claim to know or follow Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, does this town, this world, need the saltiness of Christians? are there lots of good people anyway? are there lots of good people um, who, who don't do religion and make the same kind of difference anyway? Well, yes, that's true. We're not saying that uh, only Christians can have a positive impact on our society. But the kind of impact the world really needs is an eternal one, isn't it? and the kind of ethics we see Jesus here teach us to live out in Matthew 5-7, distinctly Christian ethics are increasingly missing from our world. Effects are evident to see. Both inside and outside the church. Let's not pretend we're perfect. So if you're sceptical, let me invite you to see how the life Jesus calls his disciples to live through in Matthew 5-7. is both a life worth living for you personally. the kind of lives this world needs. Let me invite you to come over the next number of months. Let me invite you to see that it's not just one option among many to live this way. It's the only option because of who Jesus is. He is the king, the only king, the one whose eternal kingdom will come. So brothers and sisters, loved ones, friends, let's become a disciple of real character. To be eternally blessed and making an everyday difference, become a disciple of real character by becoming more like Jesus, the One who enables us to become citizens of God, and who has made it possible for us to be blessed. Let's pursue this kind of character. now. no, that's not weird. It's not dilly dally. Valley. that's not get the strike It really is the blessed life. And it really does make.